0: All your favorite Smodco shows aren't just available on audio anymore. All the best ones are now available as books. Podbooks.com. That's Podbooks with a Z. Transcribe directly from our Smarchives. Enjoy the Smonsters of talk in print form. Kev, Ralph, Jay, Jen, Moj, and more. Just go to Podbooks.com for more details. That's Podbook with a Z on the end. Podbooks. Pods in print. Smodcast is turning six years old, motherfucker, and we're celebrating with a smorgie. January 26th and 27th, get ready for two days of nonstop oral pleasure in Halifax, Nova Scotia. The Smod Coast Morning Show, I Sell Comics, Highlands of Peephole History, Smodcast, The Secret Stash, Hollywood Babylon, Fat Man on Batman, Babylon Comic Con Theater, Plus One, Tell 'em Steve Dave, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, and a Smash Up Jam Session. The Monsters of Talk invading the Spats Theater in Halifax, Nova Scotia, January 26th and 27th. Tickets just $99 for each day at smodcosmorgy.com. Don't miss the smonsters of talk as the smods bring their pods to the smorgy. Tickets available now at smodcosmorgy.com. Smodco's been blasting its own brand of fuck yeah for years in all forms of media. If you're saying, hold up, sir dude, what about video games? We got that market covered, too. Visit Smartcade.com to learn about two, count them, two games for your iOS and Android device. Jay and Silent Bob grace your mobile with Too Fat to Fly and Let Us Dance. Get your game on, Smod goblins. Check out Smartcade.com.
1: This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
0: We used to be
2: afraid to dream. We take each step uncertainly. In my sleep it came to me What if everything I had was gone It's easy to get stuck in between
0: What you have and what you need Well all the while you're sitting next to me
2: And then suddenly I see All by our side And there's other tricks We'll have up our
0: sleeve But for now let's join
1: That was Chris Trapper singing Across the World. Across the World. I have to look at Logan because Logan brings in this music and it doesn't always show up on our little sound deck here with the full uh, title. So I'm always like, oh, it's Across the hmm, Living Room, um, Pantry, uh, World. Okay, a little bigger than my pantry. I don't even really have a pantry. I mean, I guess I do. I wish I had a pantry. I wish I had a big New England pantry where I could put my canned peaches, even though I I don't really like peaches, and I certainly don't like canned peaches, but I would make them for all of you because I'm a giver that way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Waking from the American Dream. It's uh almost the last day of November. Yes, another month has flown by. Uh, of course, I haven't been here for half of it. I do apologize. I was out doing things. You know, that happens, that life thing. But next year, I'm hoping that if I do my solo show in LA, I'm not going to be doing it on Thursdays. I'm going to try to do it on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. And then that way, I'll always have my Thursdays open for you guys, and I won't abandon you anymore because it makes me sad. Because it was really nice to know that I was coming into the studio today and – um and by the way, it's officially dark out. I mean, it's only 5.05 here. And well, it's been dark for hours here today. I actually felt like I was living in Seattle. I thought, hmm, maybe I could live in Seattle. Of course, it was only drizzling here. It, um, you know, it's not, I, I, well, Logan said he was in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> it wasn't raining at all for days. So. <laughs> It's actually raining here more in Southern California than it is in the Pacific Northwest. Although there was a nasty one coming in today. I saw like Mendocino area had some nasty rain. So yes, it's actually raining here in Southern California. And no, it's not pouring. No, not like that song. It's just kind of drizzly and supposed to rain a little bit tonight. Uh So every, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I did my best Martha Stewart uh, imitation and I had 18. Uh, we had 18 people total here. Uh We deep fried two turkeys. Uh, had a beautiful, long table. uh, I just really get into it i it was funny at first, I was like, Where does this come from? And then I'm like, Oh yeah, my mother, duh, my mother was so into holidays every we i mean we weren't religious in any way, of course not. um, but we did the Easter, we did the Easter ham, we did Christmas, we did Thanksgiving, and you know, birthdays are always a big thing and uh, So mom always liked to have a nice table. So uh, I got that from my Dayton, Ohio mom, Brenda Carlin, bless her soul, hanging out there in the ethers with my dad, wherever he is. So I normally don't do this, but I felt like being a little bit like Harry Shearer this week. I have a couple of news items that really fascinated me this week. Uh, one of which was I just had to cut this out and it's just, I'm sure you've heard of it, but maybe not. So there's this young boy, well, he's 19 now, but Angus T. Jones, he stars on two and a half men. He's been on the show forever and ever. He used to actually be a half a man and now he's a full man. So I guess um <clears throat> uh, according to this young actor, He went on some sort of testimonial video recorded for the Christian themed website, Forerunner Chronicles. And he said, I'm on two and a half men and I don't want to be on it. Please stop watching it. Please stop filling your head with filth. People say it's just entertainment. Do some research on the effects of television and your brain. And I promise you, you'll have, you'll have a decision to make when it comes to television. Well, of course, um, this is just after this young man uh, has been on the show for 10 years, uh, signed a new contract for one year for $350,000 per episode to uh, to to make this shit that he makes. And it's not shit because of the way he thinks it is. It's just a shitty fucking sitcom, right, people? I mean, you know, without uh, – uh, what's his face on it? Why am I blanking? Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen thank you. Without Charlie Sheen on it, I mean, it's not fun watching at all. I mean – Ashton, Kushner, whatever. So anyway, I guess, of course, like all good actors who say things um, that they shouldn't be saying and that the network heard them say, <laughs> the one that pays them $350,000 <clears> an episode, he came out a few days later and apologized for that and actually didn't apologize for his comment about the content. He did apologize to all the fine people who worked on the crew and, and worked on the show and that he didn't want to insult them, the people who are making the crap that he doesn't want everyone else to watching. <laughs> oh. I love this town so much. It's so entertaining. Uh but what's even more entertaining than that? Is the universe. I mean, you can't get any better than this other news item that was out today, which I don't know if you heard this or not. If you read the LA Times, you probably did. Uh, so astronomers on the hunt for supermassive black holes have discovered one so monstrous that its mass dominates the central hub of its galaxy in a way that defies scientist expectations about how typical black holes behave. This is according to the LA Times. So they said they were looking around and they found this black hole seated in this galaxy, NGC 1277. Catchy name for a galaxy, by the way. Uh, the galaxy itself is 220 million light years away. Okay, let's just wrap our heads around this first, okay? You have to go the speed of light for 220 million years and you will reach – this galaxy. Okay, just wrap your head around that one for a moment. I'll wait until you've pulled your head back together because my fucking head just exploded with that one too. And then the thing is they say, you know, normally black holes take up like only like 0.1% of the mass of the galaxy. But this one they found was a bit larger than that. Um, this one they revealed has the mass of 17 billion Of our suns. So it has the mass not of 17 suns, not of 170 or 1700 or even 170,000. 17 billion. 17 billion of our suns, the mass of this black hole in the galaxy that is 220 million light years away. And we think we know what the fuck is going on. We think we have the answers to things. I mean, <sighs> see, this is why I am neither a believer or a non-believer. I am just an – I, I think I've got a new t- term. It's called an ah-er. I'm just in awe. <laughs> oh, my. Everything, you know, I, I – I, It's stunning stunning, stunning, stunning. And um, just as stunning and just as confusing and just as mind boggling is Lindsay Lohan. I'm sorry. I, you know, once again, it's about this town, but it's more than this town. It's about really, really Lindsay. Now today they're reporting that she's slapped someone at some public place and she's, Up, you know, and she's also dealing with these car crash she had on PCH a few months ago. I mean, she, wasn't she the one who was in jail with a little bracelet on? I mean, I, and, oh, well, and then of course there's the Liz and Dick film. That, that's probably, uh, that's probably the saddest thing at all. I didn't see it, but I was just watching the Twitter feed all night with that and I just felt so sorry for her. Clearly she has, or, or clearly her parents have a mortgage payment they needed to make because Ah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> very, very sad. Uh, so poor Lindsay Lohan, uh, very confusing. I just want to take her against my, my bosom, my wise bosom and say, Oh, darling. Oh, darling. Let me unconditionally love you for 10 years and see if we can find your soul again and, uh, get that talent all up and shiny again. Because, uh, she could have been, she could have been an Elizabeth Taylor. She still could be, but I'm, I fear she's going to be, uh, I don't think I don't want to say it out loud, but I don't know if she's going to be around for many decades. We'll see. It's very sad. Uh So those are my uh quandaries of the week, the things I've been contemplating, the things that I pulled aside because I thought, you people, you need to hear this from me. These are things I contemplate all day long. I don't know why, but I do. Uh So here's the coolest thing though. The coolest thing is this morning I woke up A little early, a little extra early, because I had to get up and because I had to speak to Anne Lamott at 9 a.m. She was doing her press junket in New York for her new book, which is called Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. And uh, I actually got to talk to her. Now, if you listen to this show, you know I've mentioned to her, oh, a bazillion times because she is one of my heroes. I mean, this is the woman who wrote the book, Bird by Bird, which is about writing and this is the woman who writes talks about shitty first drafts and that for me without shitty first drafts there would be no creative expression because my perfectionism is a motherfucker so uh she's so she was so gracious she was so lovely and uh, she got on the phone with me she goes i feel like i know you and i'm like Oh, I just feel like weeping. Thank you, Anne. And I'm like, honey, I do know you. I've read every word you've ever written. Uh, so here's a few wonderful little, uh, Anne Lamott quotes that I brought up here. Uh, uh, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> Uh, Forgiveness is giving up all hope of having had a better past. That's big. That is big and deep, people. That is so fucking true. Uh, You can either practice being right or practice being kind. Oh, God, if the Middle East would just figure that one out. Uh, And then uh, there's one on perfectionism here that I love. Where is it? Perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. It will keep you cramped and insane your whole life, and it is the main obstacle between you and a shitty first draft. I think perfectionism is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, hitting each stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. The truth is, you will die anyway, and that a lot of people who aren't even looking at their feet are going to do a whole lot better than you and have a lot more fun while they're doing it. That says it all. So I got to spend about 28 minutes with Ms. Anne Lamott today, and uh, I, I think I'm just going to play the, the whole interview for you. And then when we get back, uh, we got a little comedy and a little more music and uh, a live guest for you. So uh, enjoy. So I wanted to, to focus on two different things, obviously, uh, your new book and prayer and talking about that. And then I also wanted to hit on a little bit on writing and the writing process because I'm a writer. And a lot of my listeners are, uh, artists and creative types. And, uh, and you've got just a few things to say about that. Sure, Anything. <laughs> Beautiful. So I, I, let's start with prayer. I, um, I was, you know, when the book came out, I was like, ooh, prayer. She's using the prayer word. I <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which kind of scares people a little bit. Uh huh. And,
3: uh. Yeah. 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 You, you know, what well, I mean, everything, everything about um, religion, I think, is scary if in the wrong hands. But you know, I mean, just for people to say God in a certain way can make me recoil, as from hot flame, and um, and prayer, because everybody thinks that they know what they're talking about, and that you should come around to ha- what they think, and then you would be in alignment with truth. And um, and I really don't think that I don't have a position. I don't have anything. I need you to think. I'm not trying to get you to see things my way. That's why I write the way I do. So by prayer, I I really mean talking to, uh, to whatever it is that you imagine is like not your best thinking, not your own mind and some sort of power that's greater than ourselves, something outside of ourselves that is beautiful, that is somehow related to love or to an energy that is just on our side. And, um... So um, and with God, I mean goodness, and I mean good orderly direction, and I mean the gift of desperation. I have absolutely no vested interest in anyone agreeing with me on anything related to God. I don't discuss God with people very often. I don't. I never argue. I have a born again Christian brother, and who I adore. And he'll say things like, "Well, oh, human beings are really not good for much, but sin, don't you think, Annie?" And I'll say, <laughs> "Okay." And then we
1: just move it on, talk about the dogs or something. <laughs> yeah, and, and yet you're compelled to share this side of yourself and, and to have some sort of discussion about this publicly. I mean, obviously, you've written a few books about your own relationship with grappling with faith and God and, and all of these ideas, and, and just in general, just grappling with the bigness of life. And, and now here you have a book on prayer. So you're not vested in the argument. What compels you to put words to paper and, and to want to talk about this publicly?
3: Well, I think it's the same thing um, that made me want to write bird by bird, where I don't expect people to start writing, and most people aren't going to get published, and they're not going to be published happily. They're going to be more mental than they were before they got published. And I just want to tell the truth about it and say a lot of people – who come to hear me speak, um, want to talk about writing and their writing and, and um, how to write and what I do and what helps and what doesn't help and what we are even talking about. Uh, um, and I want to do the same thing with prayer, that we are, um, a lot of people are from families that really destroyed them with their fundamentalism mm. and destroyed not only their sense of God or goodness or uh, some sort of, a divine intelligence that may animate um, and create but destroyed the sense that they were of value, that they were beautiful and chosen, because instead they were raised with just total toxic shame that they fell fo- so far short of whatever that that family's fundamentalist doctrine was. Mm. So um people that come to me, to, not to me, um, people come to my events and come to my talks and read my books are, are very frequently people that were really run out Of a church on a rail, or ran for their lives, (laughs) try to stay alive in the face of the madness and 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 the the, uh, you know the brainwashing and the prejudice. So I don't. When I say um, that in the first chapter of Thanks Help Wow, there's a thing called Prayer One Hundred and One, and it's what are we even talking about? And we're talking about talking privately and intimately instead of for um, appearances or to impress people or to uh, hear the sound of our own voice, but instead in that heart cave of intimacy deep, deep, deep within us that many of us have had to fight tooth and and, and nail to reclaim, we come before something that we believe hears us Mm. and hears that we feel very screwed up and we feel um, just... Lost and, um, hopeless. And we, like, I would say without naming names during entire presidential administration. <laughs> you know, and you feel like there's no hope. We're doomed. It's yeah. all over. Yeah. And, um, and instead you ask for help, and I ask for help, and, and, I, and, and I'm confident to use the word grace, but by grace, I don't mean like God with a magic wand. You know, I mean that sometimes you get your sense of buoyancy restored, or you get, a second wind when you're really trembling with um, exertion or you get a little crack of fresh air through the window mm-hmm. you know it's like a great Leonard Cohen line that there are cracks and everything and that's how the light gets in which happens to be um, something that isn't also in every wisdom tradition that has ever existed on this earth yeah that the, the good stuff the freshness and the truth and the beauty gets into the mess and the failure and the cracks and the ruins and we certainly see that, like, in the face of Sandy or, or Haiti or whatever. We see people rising to the ability to be extraordinarily generous and selfless. So, um, you know, I don't really mean it from any sort of heavy, yeah. sit down on your knees, sinner, and pray <laughs> with me. Um, I mean that a lot of people are praying anyway without even knowing it's prayer, and that for me and my experience... Most prayer, you know, it's like that great line of, of St. Teresa of Avila or in Truman Capote's book that there's more misery caused by answered prayers than unanswered <laughs> prayers. You know, be careful what you pray for. And, um, and, but you can pray for help and something here is... And the phone may ring, or the mail may come, or a song comes on the radio, yeah. or somebody twits tweeters or whatever the verb would be, twit, <laughs> tweet something, and you start you get your sense of humor back, which is the greatest evidence of grace I know of.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something we of, don't
3: have to talk about the book and prayer anymore. We can talk about writing. I, I really don't care what we talk
1: about. Okay, okay, great. Yeah, I just, just, just I think the one thing I wanted to just say at the end of that was that. um there's that thing about the I thou relationship, you know, yeah, and, 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 yeah. yeah, you know, and being in. Willing to be in the presence, like you said, of something bigger than the ego mind that gets us into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which, uh, of course, uh, segues nicely into writing because the ego mind seems to get me into all sorts of trouble around my writing. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Th- that it's got all sorts of ideas about what's supposed to be going on.
3: <laughs> I know. Well, the thing also, just to stay with uh, the first question on mm-hmm. um, prayer a little bit more. It's, that it's not just that people destroy themselves because I think we have the right to really live this life if we don't murder. Mm. Uh, we have the right to, to screw up and to be um, outside of the acceptable realm and we get to, we get to really have this one precious messy life to do with as we want but at the same time people destroy children you know with their own ego needs and their narcissism and their conviction or you just like look through the last election what people would say that the subjugation of women um, is so so confidently undertaken you know and with such conviction that they're right it, it ends up being about bringing miserable, miserable circumstances to bear on little ones, on the Mm. only innocent ones here. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like like you and I could completely screw up our whole day really easily and probably (laughs) routinely with our best thinking and with those 37 bad internalized voices that start chattering once we sit down to write. But when I'm screwing up at the desk, when I'm hurting myself, or not being militantly and maternally on my own side, I'm not hurting you. You know, but it's also it's kind of quantum. And if I can sit down and it's going, or, or you could sit down and it was going really badly and you remembered something that was kind of helpful and you stuck it out, you kept your butt on the chair and you wrote for three hours and an hour and a half of it was really valuable, then you could say to me, you know what, Annie, I know exactly what you're talking to. Me too. We're all in the same boat. And you know what I did? And this helped a little bit. And I wonder if you could try that, too. Mm-hmm. Why don't you try writing one short pa- one passage and, and email it to me, and I'm going to put a little benevolent pressure on you, and it's I'm on the East Coast. It's 1215, so it's 315 in California, and I really want it by 6. Right. And can do you agree to do that? Can you commit? I go, yeah, really. I mean, you can read it, and uh, yeah, I, I do. And I would say the same to you, and you'd be like, I can, I, I'm in, mm-hmm. right? Whereas before, you'd like, I'm such a loser, I'm such a fraud. You know, the jig is up. <laughs> I'm not go being a dead horse. It's all worthless. <laughs> and so, in that way, I feel that um, it really is meaningful. That we um, stop hurting ourselves, that we start hurting self help hurting each other, mm-hmm. and by doing that, have a sense of generosity towards one another. That we'll reach out, and go, you know what? I got a minute. You want to tell me what you're trying to write, and I'll tell you why I don't think you're getting to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I really, you know, this this perfectionism, you know, that really is the murderer of of the self and and the acceptance the opposite of that being just the acceptance of the messiness of this human experience whether it's uh sitting down to write or raising a child or uh or trying to be a president even you know it's like that's the thing yeah, that drives yeah. me crazy about any president it's like these people are humans they're in some ways they're really just trying to do the best they can they're not I a know. god and they don't have a magic wand people
3: i know it's right it's exactly right
1: yeah, it it drives me crazy, and 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 that's the, you know, there's there's something about your gift of teaching us how to be messy and human because you're willing to do that in front of us uh, through your writing and by revealing your your own thinking and your in your own way of being, and uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, you went from, f- did you write a fiction book first and then go into nonfiction or? I wrote four books of
3: fiction. Yeah. Three of them I was thought. still drinking. And then I wrote my first sober book was called All New People and um based I've been sober about a year I think and it was based on a um, dad who's always annoyed with the mother because she's religious and, and kinda of teary and she takes everything seriously, which I do. And he says to her, You know, honey, in a hundred years all new people you know, and yeah. uh, so I was like that title. Then I wrote a bunch of nonfiction, operating instructions, and bird by bird. So, then I wrote some novels. Then so, I wrote the facebook
1: And and so my question is, when you went from fiction to nonfiction, uh, did what How was that leap for you? And 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 did you feel more vulnerable? And and what? Why did you make that leap?
3: Well, um, I always thought of myself as a novelist. I love novels, and I was one of those read those very smart, sensitive reading girls. I always think of us as the reading girls, although we're all <laughs> close to sixty. But the reading girls who found literal salvation in chapter books. Six years old, first grade, chapter books: Pippi Longstocking, you know, Wrinkle in Time, Yes, Jesus uh, and Ramona, and you know all the books in the fifties. When I was raised, people, my dad would read us Robert Louis Stevenson, and you know. Rudyard Kipling and, and Louisa May Alcott. So I, all, my first love was all of fiction. And, um, and I really accidentally wrote my first nonfiction, which was just a journal of my son's hmm. first year. Hmm. And then I want to write a book on, um, this, it was kind of the evangelical, semi messianic part of me that wanted to write the writing book because I really felt everything. <laughs> that was all, was just total BS. Is yes. how to get an agent and the assurance that if you got it published that you would get the FDA stamp of approval and then you'd have really good self esteem most of the time. And it was all <laughs> a crock. And I wanted to say, the writing will work, though. The yeah. thing that will work is the habit. The, the, it's like a calling, you know, to be called to writing is like being called to a monastery uh, or meditation. So um, the difference is that Fiction is so much harder for me mm. because you have to keep six plates spinning in the air at any given time, and um, and for me, most of the spiritual pieces I've written have been very short and help. Thanks, Wow well, is under hundred manuscript. It's like fifty manuscript pages. Oh. All the pieces in the three collected works on faith are ten p- pages or less. So there's kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a novel, you've got about a year before. You even know what you're really writing about. It's going to take you a year to find the characters. Mm. And, um, and there are no shortcuts, and you're going to have no self-esteem most of that year because at any p- moment you could realize you're, you've gotten off track.
1: Yeah, and you're in a so box somewhere. Me,
3: but because I'm a reading girl and I was saved and found salvation um, first in chapter books, I um, always will love the novel most. And I'm always most grateful for someone who's written a great novel, mm. like Barbara Kingsolver, I haven't read the new one, but Lacuna, or Poisonwood Bible, or Bean Trees a million years ago. You read it. You read three pages. They A novelist creates a whole world yeah. that you have to enter into, and you let go, and you you, you submerge with them, and you get lost in their world, the, the history of the people, and you get found. It happened at 6, it happened at 58. And I'm so grateful by the third page because I know I'm going to be good for 10 days. <laughs> and I, I feel like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and also in fiction, you can use all the stuff about your family that you can't really use in nonfiction. Yeah. All, every, everything, everything, everything that happens to you, All everything that happens is yours and you own it. All the truth is yours. And you may have to make the family be Catholics instead of <laughs> yes. Asian, instead of Buddhists, and you may have to make them have five child, children instead of one, and you may make, make the parents really tall with blonde hair and beautiful teeth, and you may have the parents have a loving marriage, you may have the parents have a disastrous marriage, whatever is going to throw people off a little bit, then you get e- everything that happened is crisp for the mill.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, I, I started writing personal essays, autobiographical stories, and I'm just starting to work on a project which is I'm kind of doing the halfway point it's like semi-fictionalized version it's like it's the, the pieces a lot of pieces are there and people will recognize it's obviously my life but I I want to like turn up the volume and play with the themes and and I I've never done I've done I think one short story so I've never jumped fully into fiction but I can feel a pull and a longing in me to do just that to use all the fodder of my life in ways that are you know that that I can you know really You know, use them in a kind of a brash way, so that I don't have to—I don't know—not dance. And because I'm very truthful in my writing, but there's there's something there's something sounding freeing about fiction. But at the same time, I totally get that sense of because I've written a few screenplays where you start the story, and then the story takes you somewhere, and it's uh, the characters are suddenly writing their lives, and you're like, who's in charge of this?
3: I know. I know exactly what you mean. Well, in Bird by Bird, I wrote a lot about how um, you really have to be just available for them because, to me, it seems like on some level the characters know who they are and what they're about. And what I do with characters is I always try to shoehorn in um, this material that I just think would be so brilliant <laughs> and it would be such a great line if I could just get someone to say it. Mm. And um, But it might not be true to the character. Yeah. And you have to take that stuff out, like... Jessica Mitford said, you know, you have to kill your little darlings. Yeah. And, um, but, and, but I believe the characters know what's true about them, and I feel like when I get the little tug on my sleeve that means that a novel wants to get itself written, mm. uh, I sort of groan because <laughs> I know it's going to be three years, and I really won't know what I'm doing for a lot of that. And, um, but I, if, I, um, if I sit down and I open it up for business, and I start to work with one thing I know about them, one gesture they have, mm-hmm. one way, the way they hold their hands when they're bored, the way that they, um, the way that they wait for a cup of coffee, what they are like when they have their head on the pillow in the dark. I just start there and describe it as well and as honestly as I can then they're going to give me more. You know, they're going to give me what they were thinking about. They're going to give me what's on their mind, and the reader wants to know what's on their mind. Maybe you're going to tell me in two pages what's on their mind, and maybe I, as your reader, want to read about a paragraph. Mm. You know, but you've got two pages, and somewhere in it is what you were after all along. And so, But then you have a terrible first draft, and you go through and you take out the bad stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you what a gift your, um, shitty first drafts are because, uh, without that, I, I don't think I would have ever sat down. There was too many voices in my head telling me, uh, you know, look out there and look at what it has to look like. And then, of course, I had the, the shadow of my father, uh, looming over me and, and to sit down and give myself permission I I just, I say this to everyone listening, give yourself just, yeah. And just let it be the worst I call it vomiting on the page. (laughs) Just let yourself vomit. It's messy. It's ugly. Oh, you got to sift through it all to find the good stuff. And, but I love that you you said a, a phrase in there, which was like the, you know, if I just sit down and write about the one thing I know about, there's something so calming about that phrase. It's like, I can at least admit I know one thing about this thing, whatever it is, a moment in my life or a character. And to start there, it's almost like a visceral experience in my body. I can feel my body settle in and uh-huh. and something open up, a, a, a window opens up where I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, even if it's only five sentences, this is definitely what I know about this thing. Oh, that's such I
3: know, but the thing is that First of all, if I were really stuck, I don't think you would use the word vomit. You know, I think because you care for me, you have a respect for me. And if we were in a cottage with two rooms and I was very stuck, you'd go, you know what? I'm going to make you a cup of tea. I want you to sit here and I want you just to breathe quietly and deeply for the time it takes me to make you some tea. And then I'm going to come back. Mm. And you sit down with me and then you go, what are you trying to write? And I would say, I'm trying to describe... Being in Muir Woods with Barbara the first time I see her after the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, well Muir Woods, I haven't been there in 10 years. Where did you actually find a parking space? So you Mm -hmm. found a parking space. So that's not interesting. You Uh found, you found a parking space. That's four words. You found five words. You found a parking space and you step into the cathedral. That is Mirror wood. Mm. Tell me what it looks like. It's a movie in your head. Just write the movie down, and then I'm going to come back in about half an hour. Just keep, because you know what, you you're different with me than you are with you. If I'm different with me than I would be with you.
1: Yes, we've only got a few more minutes, but I I, I wanted to know just a little bit about your own process. I, your father was a writer, wasn't he? Yes. Did you feel like you had to? move away from his shadow or compete with him? Did you have to work on any of that stuff with yourself? Because it's a dance I do a lot in my own life with my own creative life. And I was just curious how you handled it and how and, and what that was like for you.
3: Um, I never felt like I had to move away from him. It was very different. And I did feel like I learned um, how to do it and what's true. And I saw that that the uh, rewards from the outside world weren't, were not were very dicey, very roller coaster, and that the rewards, if you sat down at 5.30 every single morning and got his work done, and I learned that, that you sit mm. down at the same time every day, and you, ta- you know, we all ha- tapped away on our uh, portable, you know, our <laughs> portable manuals, Adlers and Olympias, and um, but my dad died so y- when I was so young, and I was mm. really just d- developing my own voice, mm. um, I had worked at a magazine, Billy Jean King's Women's Sports, and I had written a few little things that had gotten published. But the first thing I wrote, that um, the first book was about my father's brain cancer and our family. And it was the first time I was trying to find my own serious and comedic and literary voice. And I really wrote it as kind of a love letter
2: mm. to him
3: because I knew he was going to die, and I wanted to say, wow, you know, thanks and wow. And, 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 and you did it, and you blew us away, and we're going to stick together, and it sucks, and we hate it.
2: Mm. And
3: um, so it, that was a very, very different circumstance, because I, I was 23 when he got sick, and the world, world effectively came to an end. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I can remember, it was funny, I, I, I am, my fly is always down, I'm always lost, I, all, I forgot my luggage at the TSA security point and had to have someone call to have me come back. So I'm very, very spaced out. But I remember my dad, when I was five or six years old, giving me a picture of a baby snowy owl from the Pacific Northwest and saying on the back of it, isn't this a funny little guy? I wonder if you could tell me a story about him. Oh. And that was what we're all doing, you know. It's yeah. like well, you have had really, really an amazing series of circumstances. I wonder if you could tell me a little story about the last year,
1: you know, so. Yeah, I love that. Oh, that's so beautiful. Wow. And when you are, obviously when you're, you know, do you always know like you're writing a book? Do you write every day no matter what and whatever's...
3: I write five days a week usually no matter what during the election. I was very, very involved in the election. It was very hard for me to concentrate and I don't write right before or after a book tour, and I write when I'm back, you know, mm. and that will effectively be the first of the year because I'm done, uh, you know, I write when um, I'm home mm. and I can, and I try not to bring so much pressure to myself. I really have plenty to go around, and so
1: um,
3: <laughs> I will settle down from this book tour, and I will really will be back at the desk by January 2nd. Mm.
1: And I want to thank you for your uh both your tweets, but especially your Facebook posts about the election and your own wrangling with it, and, uh, and just, you know, being able to speak a lot of, you know, the anxiety that a lot of people felt and, uh, in your own unique fabulous way <laughs> like you know i would check in with you every few days like okay how's she handling it because i need to know uh-huh. right now <laughs> uh-huh. because there's always you know and then you were doing the whole candied corn thing and i'm like oh god she's eating her way through it like i am okay good <laughs>
3: uh-huh. well someone last night did the sweetest thing and old baby brought me a very small amount of candied corn like a. You know, not like a bag, a black bag of it yes. a in a little cute gift, tiny little gift bag. And it's so perfect. And she said, I know you don't want a massive amount to eat in your hotel room, but I know you want some. Oh, that's so perfect. <laughs> and, and I knew she was a Twitter person.
1: <laughs> that's fabulous. Well, one last question I have for you is uh, how are prayer and writing for you um, similar in your life?
3: Um, Well, they're they're both about submission in a certain way. They're both about um, the uh, trick of submitting to this process that is kind of going on within me and without me and at the same time to work from a core of feeling that I'm of value and that I don't have to prove anything else to anybody but that there's this thing inside of me. I was given a creative heart and soul and biography. I grew up around writers. I grew up around books. I grew up immersed in the culture. And, and I got, it's like I got given one of the golden tickets in Willy Wonka. And, um, and so I um, want to give back. I want to be a player in this world that I have been formed by, framed by, and given life by, and driven so crazy by. And so I, I try to find that space of commitment to, um, devo- you know, it's almost like a devotion to the writing craft and in my spiritual life, just a devotion to the spiritual path and to the tools and the practices and the meditation and the reading and the immersion, while at the same time feeling like I'm a, I'm a well beautiful um, worthy, per, a person worthy of value, whether I ever succeed or, or whether I ever do anything else again mm. that impresses people, that I am deserving of care and help. Writers, more than anything, I've written a lot about this in Bird, but the writers deserve and, and have available a lot of help. You need someone to read your stuff for you pretty routinely. You need somebody to help you stay on the straight and narrow. You need somebody, to be honest, tell you that they're going to love this piece, but they don't yet. And so, you know, everything, I if if I'm going to talk about writing or faith, I can bring the same notes, because they're both about about very short assignments and doing things really badly and making more messes and mistakes, and um, so, yeah, just the same thing.
1: Yeah, beautiful, thank you. Well, I look forward to, I know you're coming to L.A., I think, for an event.
3: I am in a couple, yeah, I think on
1: in a couple Mondays. Yeah, so I'm going to try to make that, and I will try to find my way up to you. and you can introduce- Find me, yeah. I will, definitely. And have a, a great rest of your time there in New York. I miss the city. Uh, I miss the Christmassy stuff and all of that, so...
3: Yeah, oh, I hate the Christmasy stuff. But of course Christmas. you do. <laughs> I love yeah. You're so cute. And I can't wait to get home.
1: I'm sure you can. And I'll see you in California. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. I'll find you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was the great Anne Lamott. Uh, her new book is called Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. And, of course, she's written a gazillion other books, uh, Bird by Bird, operating instructions lots of novels Rosie Crooked Little Heart um book on grace uh faith uh, thoughts on faith and you know she's a very progressive uh Christian she doesn't like the nasty Christians so uh, it was just such a pleasure to sit down with her, even though it was via Skype, uh, to connect with her finally. Uh, so uh, we're going to shift gears here a little bit um, since we're just cracking the holiday season here. Uh, I thought I'd play a little something of my friend Ted Alexandro and his little comedy bit on uh, the holidays. Enjoy.
4: So this is exciting, man. Holiday time, just about here. Well, I guess it's here, right? Halloween. We just had Halloween. People dressing up, right? Trick or treat, we never know what's it going (laughs) to be. Right? Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate Halloween, which is odd because you would think a holiday where you ring people's doorbells would be right up their alleys. More candy for me. People say strange things around holidays, you notice that? You're like, hey, happy Thanksgiving if I don't see you. <laughs> hey, if I don't see you, have a happy Thanksgiving. What the hell does this mean? If I do see you, I hope your Thanksgiving blows. Really bad. But if I don't see you, happy. <laughs> I like the New Year's, that's always a fun celebration. It's so bizarre that we're drunk. We're counting backwards. Like, when did this tradition start? Did they have it back in ancient times? Like, in ancient Rome, did they have the countdown and be like
3: X, I, X, V, I, I,
4: I, V, I, I, V? No, I'm out. <laughs> Happy New Year, Hopocles. I am out. I will see you at the vomitorium. Mm. Start to make resolutions around New Year's. People do that. You try to get in shape, you know, lose weight. I'm trying to shop healthier now. But certain things are strange. Like, why do we grade our beef in this country? You know what I mean, grade A beef? Yeah, like, anyone's going to want the cow that got bad grades. Be like, yeah, let me get the special ed beef. Mm, Yeah, from the dyslexic cow. The one going, ooh. Ooh. Banging her head on the barn. Ooh. That's the one I want. Give me some of that beef. I'll take it to go. No problem. I'll wait. (laughs) Thanksgiving's coming up. That's always fun. Last Thanksgiving, true story, I go over my mom and dad's for Thanksgiving dinner. And my mom, for traditional Thanksgiving dinner, orders Boston Market. believe that Boston market but she serves it in her own China right so the guests wouldn't know but my brothers and sisters and I would drop subtle hints we'd be like so ma, do we get two sides with the turkey is it two or is it just the cornbread what's the policy she was like just take what you want and pass it I was like, you know, can I see you a manager? Because I really don't like your attitude at all. You know, I've been eating here a long time, all right? Don't get sassy with me, sarsaparilla. I think the biggest thing at my family parties is deciding what we're going to do with the plastic forks. You know what I mean? Are we keeping the forks? Are we going to keep the forks? Because you can wash them. You wash them, then you use them again. Okay, so we're gonna throw the cups, but we're keeping the forks. We're gonna keep them, because you can wash them and use them. And you can tell how old you are based on how you feel about the forks. Because when I was younger, I was like, fucking throw the forks. Who cares? We'll get more. On behalf of the entire kitty table, we say, fuck the fours. That's how we feel about the situation. But now I'm a little older, I'm like, well, you know, maybe we should keep the forks. <laughs> you know, because you can wash them. <laughs> you know, on second thought, I'd keep the cups, too. <laughs> keep them, we <We'll> wash them. <laughs> Holiday time, right? And before you know it, Martin Luther King Jr. days here, right? That always creeps up on you. <laughs> right? You too, man. I never shop in time. i was like, oh, ah! <laughs> but I, uh, I honor the spirit of Rosa Parks. I don't give up my seat for anyone. I don't care if you're old, crippled, pregnant. I ain't moving. I refuse to tarnish your legacy. But we've got to come together, right? We've got to find ways to come together. Like, since February is Black History Month, I think we should all pronounce it Valentine's Day. Little ways. To bring us together
2: Instead of apart A
5: lot of
4: different names for each other All the different politically correct names Asian American Latino American African American Caucasian American I've never been to Caucasia Because I don't know where the hell it is I would love to visit the motherland someday, if somebody could point it out on a map, how I long to frolic amongst my people and do the dance of the Caucasian. That was a little extra (laughs) Caucasian-y.
1: that was uh Ted Alexandro doing his holidays bit. Uh Ted and I met on a cruise ship. No, 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 it wasn't like that. Uh we were both on a cruise ship with Louis Black who uh was doing a comedy cruise and uh, invited a bunch of great stand-ups and I'd never heard or heard of or met Ted before the cruise ship and Ted's one of those people that uh It really blew me away. And he's got some really smart, smart, thoughtful humor. And, uh, he's got an abortion joke that will just, uh, my dad would have loved, actually. (laughs) So I'm, uh, really excited to, um, and honored, actually. I've never had an elected official on my show before. And, um, you know, lo and behold, I was out tweeting one day and, um, I, you know, was on the Twitterverse and came across, uh, uh, a gentleman who, uh, is actually a representative, congressman from, uh, the great state of California that I live in. And he and I connected on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, we had a nice back and forth, uh, never anything too, um, you know, too edgy or anything. I mean, we both come from different sides of the aisle, um, uh, I'm speaking of uh, Representative uh, Jack Kimball, who comes from uh, California's fifty fourth District, which we will talk about that in in a little bit. um and and really, uh, Jack's uh, has an inspiring story. He, he certainly was, um, uh, you know he, he 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 had a dramatic rise from being the son of a wealthy businessman to Congress. And, uh, you know, i always I always like those really inspiring stories about people pulling themselves up by their designer straps. uh so i i wanted to have uh representative uh kimball on today to, to talk a little bit about the election and what's facing the country and uh maybe he and i can sort some things out since it seems other people in congress uh can't uh so i want to welcome uh welcome you uh representative kimball
5: hi kelly it's great to be here
1: it's it's really nice to have you and uh uh, I want to thank you for coming on and, and being open to, you know, uh, coming on to a show where, you know, I, I definitely have a progressive lean and, uh, uh, you know, that we can show people that people from, you know, opposite ends of the political spectrum can, can actually have a conversation with each other.
5: Right. And that's very important to me, too. I think if there's one thing this last election proved, it's that I think uh, the American people want both parties to work together. And I think it's very important for my party, the Republicans, to reach out. And uh, maybe this is a way to, to reach out to some new voters as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's great. Um, uh, so uh, you're, you're ready to roll up your sleeves, obviously, and, and, and get to work right away. And uh, some big things uh, facing facing us in the future. But just wanted to get your take on the election. How do you think it went? How are you feeling about Uh, President Obama, you know, being reelected and and all of that? Well, um,
5: it's still painful. Uh, I don't like to say that there was anything shaky going on, but I'm still very alarmed by uh, the final numbers when compared with the Rasmussen tracking calls. Um, If you're familiar with Rasmussen, uh, they're a GOP polling group. Uh, they do a lot of work at NASCAR, Denny's restaurants, uh, Toby Keith concerts, and they had um, Mitt Romney with, with a pretty substantial lead going into the last weekend.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know I, I'm not familiar with that group. Uh, clearly, they're doing some some very legitimate work there at um, those Toby Keith concerts. What are they tracking? Do you think at at the Toby Keith concerts are, are they this is where they're polling people uh, there? at – and, and why not TGIFs? Why just Denny's, do you think? it's?
5: I think it's important to get a good cross-section of the American people. Yes. Um, TGIFs, for example, uh, a lot of their cooking actually has alcohol in it, which would put Mitt Romney at a big disadvantage.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, like in my neighborhood here, Magic Johnson owns one of the TGI, TGIFs. And and I'm guessing that that might have skewed their poll a different way if they had they'd gone to the Magic Johnson one.
5: Correct. So, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a statistical person. No, clearly um, not. No. But it does seem like the sampling is very important.
1: Yes, yes, I, I, I would agree. And um. You know, uh, that, you know, and I don't, I don't call myself a racist, but I, I do have difficulty with NASCAR in particular. I'm more of an indie car girl, you know, so my, my races seemed, I, I kind of like those other kind of cars better than the, oh, than the NASCAR.
5: I, I, I mean, I don't, I think that's one mistake that we've made, actually. I think it is important that we become a bigger tent. I think our party in particular needs to, reach out to uh, people of other ethnic groups.
1: Yes, and, and and of other shapes of race cars. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And
5: Formula One. Yes. Totally lo- different shape.
1: Totally different. I mean, you know, it's, well, you know, I would say though the people that can afford the Formula One cars themselves are, are probably people that, mick romney hangs out with he probably knows the people who owns those teams Of and course, and i believe
5: actually on the campaign trail he mentioned that he he did know some race car drivers he
1: did that's right and and the race car I mean, owners yes that's right
5: i really had hoped that that would uh, help push him over
1: yeah yeah those those six or eight people uh so in, in and and the people in your district what what were some important issues for them during this election um well I think
5: one thing um a lot of them um are old. Mm. And so uh, obviously the democratic plans to do away with social security, Medicare, um things like that were very disturbing to them.
1: Uh, wait, um, I just I'm a little confused here. My understanding of of those issues is that the Democrats actually are, are interested in preserving those those um those uh programs. So I'm not quite Then they like to put on it. Oh, okay, right, right. They Oh, I see it's a, okay. So secretly, even though they say in public that they're for them, secretly they're they're not.
5: Well, I mean, you have to look, you know, it, there's a track record here. Right. Um there is no president in the in the history of the United States who has been more anti-gun owner rights than Barack Obama. Yet he has not publicly endorsed any action against gun owner rights.
1: Yeah, and and strange enough, he's actually expanded them because I believe he passed a law that you could actually carry a gun in a national park.
5: Exactly, which is just to lull us into a false sense of security. I believe the Democrats are doing the same thing with Social Security and Medicare.
1: I see. So it's like that kind of shell game that they play on the corner. It's, uh, you know, you think you're following the ball and you think you know what they're talking about, but they're going to pick up the cup and there's not going to be any Medicare and social security under there. Exactly. Oh, okay. So that must be complicated for you when you're in Congress dealing with these, uh, fellow Congress people uh, on the other side of the aisle. I mean, so whatever they say, you just assume they're saying the opposite.
5: See, that's where it gets a little tricky. As, as a congressperson, um, I, I have an, an obligation um, to vote no. <laughs> yes. And the problem is if I start thinking they're saying the opposite of what they're saying, but I don't know if they're saying the opposite because they want me to vote yes uh, or they're saying the opposite because they want me to think they want me to vote yes, and then I would still have to vote no.
1: Ah, uh, yes. I could see how... Having to actually think about things could get really confusing. And so to be on the safe side, I see that no is probably, uh, well, it's going to, you know, I'm guessing it'll just, it'll keep your record consistent. Certainly.
5: It, it has. It has.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you can never be blamed for creating any kind of new anything.
5: Well, I mean, I personally ran on a, a platform of less government.
1: Right, that would make sense. Of course, you're you're a conservative Republican, um, and uh, so if if you're a conservative, this is what always confuses me about conservatives. Shouldn't conservatives be interested in conserving things?
5: I think we are. I really do.
1: Yeah, and so what about the environment?
5: Um, the environment, we are conserving it in a, in a different way. Uh uh-huh. um, For instance, um, one of the problems that we have uh, in the winter is always people having to pay uh, for heating oil. Yes. Uh, it's especially terrible in, in, the, in the northeast of this country. Yes. Uh, where the winters get very bitter. Mm. Um, through our policies, we've managed to slightly but significantly increase the
1: temperature. True. You have. I see. Oh. Okay. Right. Oh. So this is a long-term plan you've got going. Exactly.
5: On. Wow. If we could just bring it up ten, fifteen degrees in the winter, the the saving cost uh, and, and heating would be astronomical.
1: Wow. You know, this is a this is a strangely brilliant plan you guys have. I. You know, this whole time I just thought you were just, you know, kind of being stubborn about, you know, global warming and stuff, but but I see that you're actually on board in a really kind of proactive kind of way now. Wow. Right. This is this is this is really uh, this is very enlightening to me. So this would solve the problem of of winter heating.
5: Winter heating, uh, we're also looking at it as boosting uh tourism um, uh for the country because we believe we can create more beachfront property.
1: Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, there's certainly people that don't have it now will certainly have it in in twenty, twenty five years. Uh uh Yeah. The one thing though I'm not quite sure is have you thought about the the side effects to all of that? I mean, yes uh it'll be warmer uh it'll help on the, the heating oil costs but um you know like there's going to be maybe some difficulty because there's going to be these extended droughts and the whole center of the country where they um they grow food it's it's not going to be easy to grow food there anymore and wondering if you guys your party has a plan for that well we we
5: have a couple first off um you have to be on scientific reality the, wor- the world is 3 fourths water Right. We're not running out anytime soon. <laughs> All right. Secondly, True. secondly, um, a lot of people mistakenly believe that Republicans do not believe in evolution.
1: Right. Well, some do and some don't. Certainly,
5: we, as a party, we, we are strongly be- strong believers in evolution. In fact, our plan is that as the Earth continues to grow and get warmer, um, our skin will change. Um, oh. if you have seen, um, my boss, John Boehner.
1: Yes, I have.
5: He has a very healthy orange glow. He
1: does. <laughs> healthy? Yes. Not sure about that. Glow? Definitely. Yes. And orange.
5: And we believe that is probably the future, um, the future color for, for most of our party,
1: actually. Wow. So we'll, um, we'll all be glowing, uh, soon. So that'll, so that's, So that interesting, yeah, okay. So, um, and, 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 and what about the other issues? I, I'm, I'm, you know, there's a big issue right now going on, um, this Benghazi thing, you know, and, and Ambassador Rice, and you guys are really up in arms about her. And yet, when you look back on, Other people from your party making statements uh, about foreign policy, like, oh, John, Senator John McCain talking about Saddam Hussein and and, um, weapons of mass destruction um, and and that kind of thing. I mean, that seems like a way bigger blunder than what Ambassador Rice did.
5: Oh, oh, not at all. Um, I I had a meeting with Ambassador Rice earlier this week. um, And unfortunately, I have to say it did not go well. Hmm. Uh, she was unable to even tell me the basic connections between Al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein. Um, She had very little clue of why we should invade certain countries that we must invade soon. Mm. And you have to look at the entire disaster of the Obama foreign policy. Um, The death of Benghazi is terrible. We will do everything we can to bring justice for the Ghazi family. But also, beyond that, You look at what's happened with Iran. Right. Um, Before President Obama took office, Iran was six months away from nuclear weapons.
1: Right. You can look that up. Yes.
5: Six months away. Correct. They are now four years closer.
1: Right. Wow. That's... That's that's some interesting math that you got going there. That's uh, I think those people that were polling at Denny's and NASCAR, are those people helping you with the math on that? Well,
5: yes, we we actually have, you know, not a lot of not enough nerds in our party.
1: Yeah, 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 that that's that's true. And yeah, and, and I boy, yeah, I, you know, I, I feel bad for that, that Benghazi family. Uh, yeah, my heart, my heart goes out to them. Uh Definitely. Uh, so, um, so clearly, this election was some sort of, uh, I don't know, I mean, it, it seems to have like sent a pretty large message to the GOP that, uh, you know, It definitely, it definitely has. D- don't you think? And and that, you know, there's some changes that need to happen in your party right. for you to move forward. And, and to hopefully, you know, I mean, not hopefully, not on my part, hopefully, well, but, but, you know, that the, you clearly don't represent uh, you know that you only represent forty-seven percent of the people.
5: <laughs> well, actually, we represent fifty-three percent of the people.
1: Oh, well, I see. The
5: six percent didn't vote for us, and we will. Well, I think the biggest problem we we have is um, there are a lot of special interest groups um, that basically didn't vote for us. Uh, might you want to say they got gifts? But special interest groups like women um, mm. were a big problem for us. Yeah. And I think the problem is we have a tendency of looking at women as, ooh a big, scary voter block and um, forgetting that in our lives we have important reactions and and interactions with women on a daily basis. You know, the most important people in our lives are mothers, our our wives, our daughters, our secretaries, all these people who, who are female. Yes. And I think. We need to take, you know, we need to look at women that way and not as some other out there. Um, For instance, one thing that I've learned is women don't want us to solve all their problems. That's a mistake that a lot of men make. Right. I think what women want to know is we're listening.
1: (laughs) We care. So the GOP needs to let women know that you're listening to us.
5: Right, your concerns right are important to us.
1: So, so, so some of the concerns of women are things like being able to make choices about our own health care.
5: Yeah, that's 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 very difficult.
1: Yeah, that that seems to be a little bit of a tough point for for the GOP. That yeah. um, that um, I mean,
5: but, but that that doesn't make you feel very good, does it?
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't. See, that's
5: what I'm doing. See, I'm
1: showing concern. I, I saw that. I felt that I felt the compassion and the empathy coming toward you know, I felt like you were trying to listen to me. Um but I also got this feeling like, you know, like even though you're listening, you're not really hearing me.
5: What? I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, see this is this is this is this is what what I'm I'm talking about, you know. And that that women actually we're, we we ha- can be responsible. We're not crazy people who are just going to go off and 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 use birth control willy nilly. Excuse the pun.
5: Well, I mean, I look at someone like Sandra Fluke, and I just I think Rush Limbaugh had a really good point. And it's, I know it's a private issue, but it's also something I think we have a right to know. How many birth controls was she, birth control pills was she using?
1: <laughs> and was she putting them between her knees properly? Correct. I mean, yeah. This is this is these are issues that I want men discussing daily about my my private life because well, we
5: did we did have a, a whole hearing on
1: this. Yes, uh, re- a Representative Isa, who another re- representative here from Correct. California. Yes, yes. I, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's interesting. You know, he did have a hearing on that, and he only invited um, men. Well.
5: This is something, once again, and I actually take a little credit for that, Mm -hmm. um, that comes from our experience uh, dealing with women on a daily basis. Right. Um, My marriage is going strong. Uh, My wife is barren, but we've adopted, and and things are great. Um, But a while back, we were having a little bit of difficulty. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really helped me was a group called Promise Keepers. Oh, Interesting. what it was, was a bunch of us men going out, doing manly things and discussing how we felt about women. Right. And so we tried to bring that exact same approach, um, to our hearing,
1: you know, and I think in that, in that way, then you were successful. Thank you. Yes. That you, you have a, a, a kind of a, 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 in, a s- enclosed kind of separate way of thinking about things and, um, and, and that you let us see that. you. I mean, that's one thing you did communicate was your thinking about, uh, your private thinking about about women in public. And uh, as a woman, uh, I learned a lot actually from that. Uh, not not mm-hmm. that I, I was thrilled with what I learned, but um, I learned that I, I, I probably need to protect myself more.
5: We, we can be a party of women. And that's, I think, the big thing. Um, my plan mm. is to continue to fight for more women well at least the, yeah more women more women in congress
2: mm-hmm.
5: and um by 2016 i i think we'll be ready ready for a chair
1: ah okay so so and, and maybe ha-
5: not maybe not one of, one of the big committees right right we'll start small so but we will have a woman chair
1: maybe like you know Homemaking or um, a, a committee of, uh, uh, I don't know, I mean, what, what do you think a woman could handle? Well,
5: I'm on the etiquette committee, and I think that would be a perfect one. Well, one
1: sure. She'd, she'd know how to fold a napkin and, 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 and who's supposed to sit where and which fork to use first.
5: Correct. Yeah. Um, science committee. Yes. No, actually, that might not be a good one. But, I mean, there's a lot of them.
1: Yeah, I I noticed that your science committee is, uh, it's interesting who you choose uh, to be on that science committee. Um, Not a lot of fans of science on that committee.
5: Well, science is a very difficult uh, field to study. I mean, the Earth's been around for 6,000 years, and in that time it's gone through a lot of changes, and we've learned a lot about it, but there's still a lot more to learn.
1: (laughs) Clearly. You know, like actually biology might be an interesting thing to learn or or actual geology too there's books there's books written about these things that um that a lot of esteemed minds have been studying for hundreds of years about uh the planet and its evolution and um uh, life uh evolution and you know you, you you might learn a few things if you open up well, one of those books
5: I get most of my science from three books. <laughs> Uh, the New Testament. Mm. The old testament. Yes. And that was shrugged. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the big trifecta.
5: Right. I, I kinda like to think of it as the third book of the Bible.
1: Ah, yes. I'm sure uh Miss Ayn Rand would uh whatever her name is, uh would would be thrilled by Ayn.
5: that. Ayn. actually my we we named our daughter Ayn. Ayn do You did.
1: You yes. did. Wow. Ayn Reagan Kimball. <laughs> Yes, of course. Now, speaking of Reagan, you know, when you look back on his record uh, and and what, I mean, even though I was not a big fan of some of the things he did, he would have a hard time in today's uh, GOP, don't you think? Well,
5: I think that some of his policies might be a bit dated, but with our country
1: seemingly ready
5: to careen off a cliff.
1: hmm Yes. both
5: fiscally and otherwise.
1: Right. Who is more
5: reassuring to have behind the wheel than a man you can look up to, someone who reminds you of your grandfather?
1: Yes, who's who's taking naps four times a day, even actually, while in I, middle my, of my meetings. My, father,
5: my, my grandfather actually did drive off a cliff once. Which,
1: oh, Ooh, sorry. But
5: it's still reassuring. It's still a reassuring picture.
1: Reassuring is because, you know, I think that's really all the... American people want, is just to and have warm and fuzzy feelings while we drive off the cliff.
5: And keep in mind, Ronald Reagan was a California Republican.
1: He certainly was. And uh, his uh, legacy here in California is, is still everlasting as I walk down the street and see homeless people sleeping on bus stops. He's everywhere. He's at bus stops, correct? Yeah, bus stops. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, ha- I have a question for you. I, I'm just curious because I was I was uh, doing some research for our interview here, and I uh, was looking for the um, the 54th district actually, and was a little confused. I uh, wasn't quite sure where it was on the map. Who, what part of the state you're from? Who you, what your constituency is? Um, could you clear that up a little bit for me?
5: Sure. Um- Fifty fourth district. Um, I think its main uh, driving characteristic is probably the age of its residents. Mm. Um, it's very old. Oh. Um, it sits on some of the best olive country uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. in the entire in the entire United States.
2: Right. Um, and
5: in fact, um, that was my my father's initial business. Oh. Um, we, we the Kimball family originally um, made our money uh, from the Kimball Olive DePitter.
1: Um, oh. Did not yeah, know that, that used to be a
5: very dangerous job. And um, through that invention, my great grandfather um, basically made a fortune, which we lost um, during the Great Depression. Mm, mm. But um, my grandfather and his brother built it back up through public service. Mm. Um, a lot of Japanese businessmen were looking to move uh, out of the community <laughs> in the early 1940s and they helped them
1: out. They, and they taught. so so basically when the Japanese were interned your family helped t- them. Helped them. Interesting framing on that. Helped them. So uh, and so when the Japanese were released after World War II did you um help them again by returning their property to them?
5: Well, they I mean they
1: not really. <sighs> Yeah. So, so, so your district is made up of former Japanese interned business. Well, no, most of that,
5: most of them moved.
1: Oh, um, right.
5: We have a lot. Like I said, we have, it's basically the, the Heritage Valley. The Heritage Valley corridor is probably the the biggest part of our district. Right. Um, you've probably heard of the Heritage Valley Corn Dog Festival. We have every
1: August. Yeah. I'm Not quite sure. I've heard of that. Interesting. Well, it sounds very uh, folksy and um, old-fashioned. It
5: is. Yes.
1: It is. Sounds like good, clean American fun.
5: It is, and it's, it's very Republican. The last time a Democrat uh, won was, I want to say, 1849? 1848 it would have been.
1: Wow. that's.
5: Um, it's been a long time.
1: I don't even know if California was a state back then.
5: Well that's that's one of the difficulties that the Democrat had.
1: Ah, that would that would be that would be an obstacle definitely to getting uh elected to Congress without having a state or a district to be elected in. I can understand that. Well, uh, you know, uh, I I want to thank you for being here today and and just you know, uh, I just want to sh- let people know that, you know, you and I've been talking for oh gosh, I don't know almost 30 minutes now and We've been able to have a very pleasant conversation here. I mean, you know, there's been no name calling or mudslinging. Um, I feel like, you know, we've respected each other's positions here.
5: I I, I felt very respected. Yeah, yeah. I hope you felt that what you said was very important to me as
1: well. I I felt it was. Um, I felt felt that you you heard the words I was saying. I I, I, I I
5: definitely did. Yes,
1: and and you understood the order they were in. But I don't. I'm not quite sure how much meaning. Uh, crossed that, that barrier. But, uh, is there any a particular message you want to leave, uh, the American public with, uh, as you start, uh, now this term you're starting here, uh, you've got two years. Uh, are you going to be busy. Are you going to walk across the aisle? Are you going to do some compromising? What's, what's, you know, what's the big message you have for the next two years for the American people? What jobs do you want to get done?
5: Well, um first off I if I do if you don't mind me giving just a real brief plug.
1: Sure, of Um uh,
5: I have a uh new ebook that just came out called uh, Profiles in Courageousness.
1: Not nice. Uh, available <laughs>
5: at Amazon or any major ebook seller.
1: Wonderful. And
5: in it it both tells, like you were mentioning before I came on in the introduction, um, of my rise to Congress.
1: Yes. And it
5: also um has a roadmap for the future of the party.
1: Ah, roadmap. So, we love roadmaps.
5: So it's called Profiles in Courageousness. In
1: Courageousness, yes.
5: Um, And then the other thing um, that I'm kind of happy to announce, it's not official yet. This usually takes place after the official uh, chairmanships are announced. Right. Um, For the last uh, Republican Congress, Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of freshmen in 2010. You did. And von Boehner appointed me as Pledge Master.
2: Ah,
5: so I'm hoping to repeat that in 2012. Not quite many refresh many freshmen, but I can put them through their paces.
1: I bet you can. I can see the paddle from here.
5: Oh, there's there, there's nothing like the sight of there's nothing like the sight of congressmen at four in the morning in their underwear on the Capitol steps reciting Atlas Shrugged. Uh,
1: that you know that is something we can agree on. There's nothing like that sight. Definitely.
5: Well, yeah, that's, that's my big plan for this time. And of course, getting some legislature done. Um, I have plans for a Jack Webb library.
1: <laughs> nice. That'll be good. Yeah.
5: Well, actually, the library's already built, but I would like to get it named after Jack oh,
1: Webb. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Will there be actually books in the library?
5: Um, I believe right now there's actually over a thousand books.
1: Wow, a thousand. That's um, that's they
5: we have I think with the largest VHS tape collection of any public library in California, um, but um, they keep insisting on buying more books and people check them out so whatever.
1: Crazy those crazy people who go to libraries for books. Well, Representative Kimball, I want to thank you again for being here and uh, thank you for your service and I hope that you can. Um, Get some good work done and work with our president, and um, your party can, can move beyond the um, the obstruction that it's enjoyed uh, doing the last four years, and uh, some real work can get done.
5: Right. Thanks for having me, Kelly. I really appreciate it. And just so you know, anything with policy, any issues you have, yeah. any concerns, mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. for you. You can give me a call if you want to chat about it and i'm I'm here to listen
1: that's that's I feel listened to already once again you're you're doing great with the women you really are thanks yes okay Th- thank you thank you thank you representative. thank you so um that was uh representative Jack Kimball. You can follow him on Twitter. That's how I met him uh he is r e p Jack Kimball on Twitter and uh you can enjoy his uh sharing of his unique um, ideas that he puts forth for the GOP. Uh, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. He's a great guy. And uh, if you can figure out who he really is, then uh, that'll be fun too. So uh, that's our show today. Uh, and I hope you have a great weekend and uh, are doing just, you know, oodles Oodles of Christmas shopping because damn it, our, our economy needs it. We, the economy needs people spending money and it really does. I mean, it's a funny thing. I used to talk to my dad about this, you know, and he used to say, we actually do need people to buy stuff. It is, there is some level of consumerism is important because then people have jobs. And it's like, yeah, I know, dad. So I want you to go out there. I want you to get yourself a tickle me Elmo doll because we know there's not going to be many of those left on the shelves. I want you to go out and buy some boxes of ding-dongs and Twinkies because we know there's not going to be many left of those on the shelves either. And, uh, you know, and, and go out and get yourself something nice for Christmas. You know, fine. I know you're supposed to be giving other people gifts, you know, whatever giving is greater than receiving or whatever, but you know, go out there and get that thing you really, really want for yourself and wrap it up and put it under the tree and and let your wife or your husband or your kids try to figure out who is that from? And then you can open it and act really excited like, oh my God, it's exactly what I wanted. And no one will know. They won't understand who who gave it to you. And then maybe one of them will actually take credit for it. Wouldn't that be funny? Oh my gosh, that would be funny. All right. So I'm going to play a little song, a little ditty here coming out uh, of the show. But before I do that, I want to thank uh, Logan Heftel for being my producer and uh, my button pusher. Oh, that sounds very dirty. I don't mean it that way. Please, people stop that. Uh, I want to thank everyone at Smodcast for all they do for me. And um, I want to thank my husband. He's just a great guy. Bob McCall. Just a great guy, really is. And I want to plug my show. I'm going to be at Santa Monica. The last time I'm in Santa Monica... Probably going to be moving my show to the east side of town. So if you're a west side LA person and you're listening to this, come to my show in Santa Monica, December twentieth. A Carlin Home Companion. You can find tickets at brownpapertickets.com or go to my website kellycarlin.com. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter Kelly underscore Carlin and uh, find me on Facebook Kelly M Carlin Official. Uh, that's my public page. And um, oh, and exciting news: we've launched a new website for my dad. GeorgeCarlin.com. You can get all of my dad's stuff there. We've got uh holiday sales going on right now. So buy yourself a little something from George and wrap it up and put it underneath your goddamn tree. Uh make my dad happy. Because, you know, he just wants you to smile and laugh and have some fun and all of that kind of stuff. And so I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to thank my guests, Anne Lamotte and Republican Jack Kimball. Um, who I will not uh, reveal who that really is. Uh, so I want to play a little song by a woman named Carrie Cooper, who actually is raising money right now on Kickstarter. Uh, her name is C-A-R-Y Cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R. Uh, Google her. She's uh, raising money for her next album. She's an amazing singer-songwriter. Uh, she happened in on a party at my house here one night and played the ukulele for us. And she absolutely blew me away. So this is her song, Anything is Possible. And uh, I want you to enjoy some Carrie Cooper. Six years
6: old in the summer of 69. 10 o'clock was way past my bedtime in my tiny texas town the world seemed small when the sun went down and the moon was just a word in a nursery rhyme but all that changed one night in late july glued to the t on the sky. And I can tell you what I thought when I saw that astronaut step out on the moon. I said goodbye. Goodbye, little world. I'm just a little girl. But anything It was February cold Home on a Friday night 15 years old Dad said come here if you can I know you're not a hockey fan But we watched that team take Russia for the gold So goodbye little world I'm just a little girl I mm-hmm. You. So, hello.
0: Smodco Internet Radio broadcasts the free funny, but you can broadcast your Smodco love with merchandise, shirts, posters, comics, memorabilia, and more. JayandSilentBob.com is your hub for comic book men, secret stash, and Kevin Smith's cinematic catalog. It's an online one stop shop that fulfills your need minus the weed. JayandSilentBob.com Book market, Berber. So, you're saying, Yo, third, dude, I just got paid, and I want to get laid. Might your humble narrator suggest a live Smodco show? See Smod.com lists all the upcoming performances, with links to tickets. As for getting laid, that's all on you, amigo. We just make you laugh till you shit your pants. The smonsters of talk could be coming to your town. Go to see and find out.